in our hands. That's why we proclaim them on Sunday mornings. That's why we read them faithfully in our homes. If seeing was a prerequisite for faith, then what hope would we have, those of us gathered here, 2,000 years separated from the time when Jesus Christ walked this earth? The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The fact is, according to Jesus, that this truth of regeneration, spiritual renewal, rebirth, born again, it's accomplished by the Holy Spirit. It's the powerful operation of the Spirit alone that brings us to this point of salvation. It's not something that is accomplished by human effort. Although salvation was planned and originated by the Father, and it's actually accomplished by the Son, it is the Holy Spirit that applies it to the life of an emerging believer. You cannot decide in and of yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ any more than you decided to be born to your parents. And this supernatural work of God involves a radical change in our nature because the effect of that is a brand new life. And because it is a brand new life, it should rightly be seen as a miracle. Just as new life was fashioned through the Spirit of God in the beginning of Genesis in the creation of the world in man, so new life is fashioned by the Spirit of God even in our inglorious hearts. For that is the glory of Christ. And it shouldn't surprise us, but it does. It surprised a friend of mine. Um, Many of you know her, Haley. Haley's not here today, but uh, many of you met her. And uh, she told me that growing up, she oftentimes remembered feeling fondly about Jesus and God. Uh, She did not see herself as an enemy of his. As she got older, though, she began to feel a bit of disquiet, even within her spirit. Something just didn't feel right to her, and she described it as, I I had no peace about myself. Over time, she met some Christians who actually shared with her the gospel, and she responded. She heard, and she responded. I had the privilege of preparing her for baptism about a year ago. And um, as I was talking with her, she said, you know, I wish I had a more dramatic story. I wish I could have been, I don't know, like, like a biker that killed people and heard about Jesus and came to Christ and now I, everybody can know how different I am. I said, Haley, you're a nurse practitioner, right? She said, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen one of your patients who had died come back to life? She said, no. I said, if you had seen that, would that be dramatic? And just like she would do, yeah, you know, yes. The only reason, Haley, that you don't see 
your life as a dramatic change is because you don't really get it. The scriptures teach that you were dead in sin. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, you've been made new in life. What's more dramatic than somebody who was dead now being alive? The Spirit of the living God calls us to the Father and through the power of Jesus Christ applies that truth. And we have the opportunity to be made alive when we were dead in our sin. And the scriptures in this instance, John, through Jesus, describes that as born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Today you might be sitting there asking yourself the very same question. Because it might be that today is the first time anyone has ever told you this. Or like Nicodemus, it may be that you've been in church enough to kind of hear a little bit of this. You've been exposed to some truth. But you haven't had the experience where the spirit of the living God comes in and takes you from dead to alive. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what you know and bear witness to what you have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Can you just hear the irony in Jesus' voice as he responds to Nicodemus? It should have been obvious to Nicodemus that all of life, including spiritual life, comes from God, and that which is humanly impossible, that we cannot figure out how it happens, is quite possible with God. Not only just quite possible, commonplace. And here, Jesus makes it clear that he has the authority to be able to proclaim such matters. And as we'll learn in just a few minutes, it is for the hearer to receive and to respond. Up until this point, Jesus has been talking about really, really basic spiritual truths that Nicodemus could have seen from the Hebrew scriptures. They're so basic that he, he uses examples like birth and, and, and wind. And if Nicodemus has trouble grasping those basic truths, then how is he going to grasp the truth that is to be revealed for the salvation of man? It's going to require something outside of Nicodemus. Something that's more powerful than Nicodemus can just generate on his own. He can't just pull himself up by the bootstraps. He's dependent and we're dependent on help from the outside that goes beyond our own abilities because he's getting ready to lay a truth on him, a a, a life-changing truth, one that Nicodemus needs to hear and respond to, just like we need to receive and respond to as well. My third encouragement, that we should believe and therefore live by looking to the glory of Jesus humbly. The apostle John tells us, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Anyone 
who's even remotely familiar with the Old Testament, certainly Nicodemus, would have recognized this story of the bronze snake. We don't have time to go back and read it, so here it is in short. In Numbers 21, we're told that the nation of Israel is in the wilderness, and in great impatience, they continue in their bitter complaining and ingratitude towards God, who had led them out of slavery in Egypt. And as a consequence for their rebellious heart, a plague of snakes, I hate snakes, a plague of snakes are released amongst the people. And to be bitten is certain death. And just in time, the people admit their sin. Moses intercedes in prayer to God. And God, in his mercy, listen, fashions a process for saving people. Moses is instructed to make a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And in the future, any time an Israelite is bitten and death is approaching, they are to look up at the bronze serpent in faith and live. Does that sound familiar? John lets us know that the Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up just like the bronze serpent. And we know that he was lifted up on a Roman cross. For all to see. The son of man. The visible historical Jesus. Was lifted up. And he died in public. And we have a tendency to see that. As an historical event. And it is. History has been almost defined by it. But it is the place of faith. The place where people. You and I and Nicodemus were enabled to, to apprehend the eternal realm of the kingdom of the Spirit of God and where we are then reconciled into eternal life and to which we can not only, as Pastor Tanner told us, anticipate, but now we're on the other side of history and we can look up and we can see it. To be rescued from certain death, a just punishment, Jesus lifted up on a cross for us to look with a heart of contrition, repentance, and admission that our hearts are inglorious. To believe in that act of mercy, it's a work that can only be accomplished by faith as it's initiated, activated, and empowered by the living Spirit of God. And it's such a fundamental act that it's almost like a heart transplant. Out comes one, and in goes a brand new one. Whether you call it born again, saved, spiritually reborn, converted, I don't know, whatever other terms might be around, it's so fundamental to Christian identity that if you don't pass through that experience, you're not a Christian at all. Faith in Jesus, apart from the cross, is insufficient. It's inadequate faith, and it has no power to save. I like how an author put it. He said, regeneration also makes clear the radical difference between Christians and non-Christians. We are either one or the other, born again or dead in sins. We have come to the light or we are still in darkness. 
We are saved from condemnation or we are under condemnation. There is no middle ground. We may not necessarily recall the details of our regeneration. That's not the primary issue. The primary issue is that we're now living in constant dependence on Jesus Christ as our living Lord and Savior, and that we're now growing in our spiritual life. And that growth is God's ever-renewed gift. Well, the tennis game is over. Jesus aced one down the sideline. And so I just want to leave us with this one final thought. Our inglorious hearts are recreated by God's Spirit when we look in faith to the glorious cross of Christ and by looking, live. See, there's a lot of talk in our culture today about spirituality and being on a spiritual journey. Our spiritual journey as Christians is defined by Jesus, who he is, where he has come from, and what he has done. The Spirit is the one who can help us to recognize the true condition of our hearts. It's Jesus' sinless life, his living works, his merciful deeds that allows us to accurately calibrate where we are in that spiritual journey towards reconciliation with God. And it's his death on a cross and resurrection power that we look to for salvation. So what about Nicodemus? This episode of John's Gospel um, is part of Nicodemus' spiritual journey. Later, we're going to find out when we get there in John 7, that although he offers no personal testimony of faith in Christ, we do see Nicodemus defending Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin. And by John chapter 19, we see Nicodemus at the crucifixion of Jesus where Jesus is lifted up for all to see. And along with Joseph of Arimathea, he takes down the crucified body of Jesus, embalms him with reverence, and participates in laying him in a tomb. After this, we don't hear much more about Nicodemus. But it does look like this conversation that he had with Jesus bore fruit. It does look like he grew from a secret nighttime visitor to a cautious defender to a bold witness in the most public of places. What's your story? That's Nicodemus's, but what's yours? What's the true condition of your heart? Have you been born again, as Jesus points out? Have you looked to the cross of Christ? Next week, Tanner's going to continue in our Gospel of John study. He's going to pick up at John 3.16, one of the most quoted and visible verses in all of the scriptures. And he's going to share with us why. We've talked about the how today. Why would God do such a thing? As I invite our worship team to join me on the platform, I'm just going to give you one last thought. My favorite, one of my favorite stories from scriptures in Luke 23, there's two criminals and they're hanging. 
one to the right and one to the left at Jesus' crucifixion, and they're surrounded by soldiers and scoffers, and one criminal turns to him and says, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the second criminal rebuked him. He looked at his inglorious heart. He said, We're receiving the due reward of our deeds. And he looked to Jesus, who was literally hanging on the cross, eye to eye, and he said, But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we just, uh, we throw ourselves in your mercy. We trust in the spirit to apply the word. And we would ask humbly that you be kind and gracious to us as you apply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.